Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do always at officehours.global. Our first hour, a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer audience-submitted questions. Second hour, typically a deeper dive into a topic. And today, our second hour, we'll be talking to Chris Sabato. Chris has streamed more than 120 sporting events a year on a limited budget and staff, often working with NCAA Division Three sports broadcasts. So he'll be covering data integration, equipment, and a whole lot more. So it should be a very interesting second hour. Mitch, it is time for the regular first hour. What have we got today? Good morning, Bill. Appreciate it. First in from Douglas Carmichael. What SSD size would you specify for a 14-inch MacBook Pro that will be an everyday carrier and adjunct to my desktop M2 Pro Mac Mini in the studio? I'm going to have a 4-terabyte internal SSD and a 4-8 to terabyte auxiliary SSD for sample libraries and content. Jason's going to start us out this morning. Yeah, well, it depends pretty heavily on what you're using the MacBook for. Um, if it's the same purpose as your desktop, then I would say your hard drive should be the same size. That's generally my rule. Uh, and Sky has some thoughts, Sky. If you're going to use a portable one that you could also use with your, your cameras and things like that, I was just an uh, editor's friend here and actually a series of editor friends were very upset with the SanDisk that we're, we're failing on them. Now, I've used the Samsung, the T5, and they've worked now for at least four or five years. So that's a, a comparative. And just if you're going to get a portable uh, SSD, the SanDisk, while inexpensive, uh, you may want to check their, their quality now. I will note that in my experience, the SSDs that Apple puts into them are incredibly fast. That would cause me to upgrade that whenever I can. Although I'm at a two terabyte internal on my main laptop and I have so much external storage on it that that seems to handle everything I need to do in terms of final cut editing and things like that. I don't put scratch disks or things like that on my internal drive. I generally have them outside. So for general work, that seems to be enough for me, but your mileage might vary. If you're going to be editing and things like that on your laptop, you might want to boost up that incredibly fast internal drive. Mitchell, you have a thought? Yeah, a uh, suggestion for the external drive, G drives work great. And Alex? Yeah, I, um, I tend to have a couple uh, two terabytes. The four terabytes are just a little expensive, and so I get, tend to get two that I can, two, two, two terabytes. Um, for the ones that I work off of, a lot of times I'm building M MVMEs. You know, I just buy the cases and get the, I get more bang for my buck that way, but you do have to spend some time and put it together carefully. <laughs> so if you don't get the, there's a little gel that comes with it. And if you don't put that on, it's a little sticker and you think that it, do, it doesn't mean anything. It looks like a little piece of gum. Uh, it won't work as well. <laughs> just in case you're wondering, it's super important to follow instructions just in case you're wondering. Um, but otherwise there's, there's a lot of them. Um, if I was going to get one drive, I'd probably get a four terabyte. So, Douglas, I uh, hope that helps you, and congratulations. New equipment is always exciting. Let's get to the next question. From David Paskin from Miami, Florida, asking, anyone have any insight on what's going on with original sound in Zoom? It seems that it isn't available to free accounts that don't have a credit card on file. John Preto. Yeah, this is interesting. After listening to um, uh, Andy Carduccio talk about how many support calls that that caused with original sound being on, it makes sense that they would pull that from the free account is my is my impression. Yeah, wasn't that interesting? Because Andy was here on the show fielding a question from somebody just like this. And uh, that was amazing that they had done a study and there was so much back end 
goings on that something we thought was easy turned out to be a big uh, burden on the crew there. Uh, Mitch Hill, you had a thought? Yeah, I think Andy used the word magnitude. So yeah, orders magnitude of magnitude <laughs> more uh, support was required because of that one feature, original sound. David Paskin? Yeah, I absolutely appreciate that. My concern is if I'm talent on a free account, joining someone who has maybe a pro account or a business account, I want to be able to turn on original sound for myself. Um, so I, while I understand the, the support call dilemma, it seems like pulling a pretty fundamental uh, uh, tool. Yeah, Alex? It could also be the account itself. Uh, like you, someone jumping into an event could, could use it, but you sourcing an event may be a different story. So it depends on who's sourcing the event could make a difference. I know that like with high bandwidth mode and other things, it's 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 who starts the event that matters. Um, so that, that could be connected to it, but we're doing some more research. I'd probably ask that question again tomorrow or Saturday. Um, there's some folks that we're, we're gonna try to get to the bottom of uh, pretty quickly. Excellent. That's one of the things Office Hours does really well. So thank you for the question. Let's move on to the next one. From Douglas Carmichael, in an article about the network at SoFi Stadium, the article mentioned an average data volume of 20 terabytes with a peak of 32 per concert. Would using NDI versus SMPTE 2110 help in reducing that figure? Jason's going to help us. Jason? If the article is the one that I found from ZDNet, I, I think you overlooked a little part of this. Um, first, there's no evidence that they're using SMPTE for that. And, and second, the broadcast video that they're referring to, um, it says somewhere in the article that it uses 12 gigabits per second um, to distribute to 2,000 different screens. So, I mean, the math on, on that data consumption doesn't add up. Fair enough. Next question. Next question in from David Paskin in Miami, Florida. Can someone explain when and how to use variables in Companion when you're building buttons for Zoom OSC ISO using presets? Uh, we've had a lot of discussions of Companion here and in some of our After Hours things. Um, David Paskin's going to help us out with this, David. Well, no, I'm not going to help oh, us out at all. You're not because I'm just... you asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, I guess here's, here's my question. So I, I'm one of those guys that loves presets. If someone gives me something that's done, I'm just going to plug it in. But I hear lots of folks talking about how how valuable it is to use variables. And so my specific question is, if I'm not building buttons and actions for myself, is there a need for me to worry about variables um, when I'm when I'm just pulling over the presets? And if we don't have an answer today, I'll, I'll pop into after hours and ask it there. Yeah, it sounds like if you've if you've been successful in getting all your projects done without diving into them, it may be one of those things that can make things better and convenient, but it isn't mission critical. So maybe in that respect, uh, you're okay with that. Alex is going to give us his thinking. Yeah, one of the things that to often do, I mean, uh, you know, Discord is a great solution for asking for some of those things, but also just write down things that, this is a general term, <laughs> write down things that you have a question about. A lot of times, we David's been able to bring it here, a lot of times we think about things during the day, like, I don't understand why this doesn't work, or I don't understand why this, just write it down. I have a notes thing that I just write those things down. So I have notes open and I go, I don't understand why this is what it is. You know, I don't understand why this thing happens in Keynote. I don't understand why this thing happens in Resolve. I don't, you know, and I have these little sections of things that I'm, that I'm, you know, and then when I don't feel like working for a minute, like I need a break or, or I'm trying to think of questions for office hours or 
you know, I'm, I, I have an opportunity to talk to someone that I know I go over those things. Okay. Tell me about this. <laughs> so, so I think that, um, you know, keeping, you know, continuing to write them down. We have had some sessions with some folks that know a lot about OSC, um, in, in after hours, we hope to do more of those in the, in the coming month. Um, and we've done them here in office hours as well. So definitely stack those, keep stacking up those OSC and IS, ISO questions because we have some pretty good sources to, to talk to about it. Ronnie Settle has thought too. Ronnie. Yeah, excuse me. I can just speak generally about variables in uh, in Companion. So, for 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 Zoom OSC, uh, one of the one of my buttons um, is like active speaker, like or who who's actually in audio. And I don't have it set up to where I can show you today, but it you can put the variable on the actual button. The button doesn't do anything in this instance, but it will show you who's speaking on the screen, and uh, you know. So the same thing with um, with uh, House of Worship setups, we use uh, ProPresenter, and so I can I can have it show the the variable is the timer, how much time is left. So what's in the back of the room, I can also see it right there on the screen, and uh, so that's just a basic uh, explanation of variables in Companion. You can do a lot more with it, but at its very basic, you can show cool things that are in real time on the on on your screen there on your uh, on your stream deck so interesting chris fenwick has thought too the last few days i've been uh digging deeper into this i asked a question a couple days ago about getting um a stream deck to play a specific video and alex yes you deciphered that question properly um it can be done through companion uh using um uh some tricks there and and it, i i feel like I feel like I'm a, a new student who's been shown where the door to the library is. And now I realize I have to read all the books inside that library. So it's very confusing. I did come across a very interesting uh, video the other day where using VLC as a playback device, uh, using Companion, you can actually pull the time code or the ti time remaining in the video off of the video that's playing and display it on one of your Stream Deck buttons, which I thought was really cool. So you just have one button to look at, regardless of what video is playing, and it'll give you a countdown to you know the the next event. So um, yeah, Companion is super 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 deep. Nice, David. I hope that helped you get your answer here. Let's move on to the next question from Sky Gleason in Seattle, Washington. Sky asked, "I'm digging out my old GoPro Hero Three Plus. Are the new GoPros easier to use than the old two button controls?" Nothing could be harder than <laughs> Courtney. Uh, dive into it. <laughs> uh, they're not simpler to use, but they are easier to use because they have things like a LCD screen on the front, uh, the new Hero 11, you know, so you can frame it. It, it also has LCD screen on the back. It's, uh, it doesn't require waterproof housing. It's waterproof without putting it inside that little plastic box. So, yeah, it has, uh, you know, uh, automatic image stabilization built in. A lot of good stuff that your three probably doesn't. Sky. Two hours of my life that I will never get back last night. I, oh my word. I, I, we're, we're doing uh, the tennis tournament next week with 1F Jeff and we wanted to do some time lapse. And Alex, you inspired me to break out the old gear. Oh, you owe me, Alex. You owe me two hours of my life back. Just saying. <laughs> You're saying you didn't like the menu structure? I of forgot. Old GoPros? I forgot. The, the, <laughs> the therapy and the pain had gone. It just subsided. And now it's a vivid memory and lack of sleep. Yeah, it's not the most intuitive system. Chris Fenwick. I think it's 
brilliant engineering on GoPro's part where at, when a GoPro sits untouched for two years, the, the menu structure magically changes and makes it impossible to use. So you just go out and buy a new one. Um, planned obsolescence. Um, I totally agree that the, the new LCD screens uh, make them much easier. Uh, the old ones, Sky, I feel for you. Those two hours, you'll never get back. Um, I don't even try to use a GoPro without tethering it to um, the iPhone app. I find it much easier to deal with stuff on the app than it is on on the device itself. I, I remember, I think, Alex, you mentioned something about uh, the other day. I can't remember what box it was, but Kevin knows. Oh, it's the um, the decimators. Kevin knows how to run it. Uh, from the software, I think, and you know the buttons or vice yeah. versa. I can't remember, That's but it. yeah, the, sometimes you find a way to deal with a piece of hardware. I can't, I can't stand GoPros. I also find it very interesting that there are. I've seen many um, uh, YouTube thumbnails pop up as I scroll through YouTube endlessly uh, about you know the death of GoPro. GoPros over. They've seen their best times, and and even some people that we know here in office hours are like, oh, I wouldn't touch a GoPro. Uh, at all. I have a 10. I really like it. Alex, we don't use GoPros because, because they're easy. We use them because we thought they, we thought that they'd be easy. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, so the, um, uh, that's the problem with the GoPro is it always, you think it's going to be easy and then it's, it's never easy. The only time I was, I, there was a moment in time when I was really good at a GoPro because we had these, we had these spherical rigs that we built with six GoPros at a time and you had to get them all started and you had to get them all set and you always wanted to change all the settings and you just got used to muscle memory of down, down, over, down, down, over, down, down, up, 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 down, down, down. And you just go on, on the thing. And and you realize that that's what the sports kids are doing, you know, like when they're doing it, they're doing it so often that they, you know, and I, and that's how I learned it is I just watched and I asked and I asked that it was a um, uh, Red Bull skydiver <laughs> that I was talking to about it. And he said, it's just like a game. It's down. It's like, it's like having a code. It's like down, down, over, down, down, up, down, 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 over, over. And he just, and he just said, you just know what that, what those, what that pattern is. And and watching him do it because he puts it on his little helmet every time he jumps out of a plane, you just see him pick up a thing and he go, and then it'd be ready to go. You know exactly the way he wanted it, and he'd always reset it because he goes, then I don't know the pattern. If if you, you if you don't know what it is, I had to re he had to re just reset it every single time and then do the thing. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, they're they're you know they're useful and they really were a moment in time when they were great. Um, and I think that heating problems are still a problem on the older one on the newer ones in my opinion you get them too many impact together we always had heating problems like we had to take for the spherical rigs we had to take the batteries out and power them through their you know through the usb because the battery would get too hot and they just shut down so they they've never been <laughs> they've never they've been really good at what they do and they tried to expand to other markets and they've not been successful because it's really painful um, to use it for anything other than something what they're designed to 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 be used for, and and their 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 heyday has gone. <laughs> like it's it's still a useful camera, it's still a good camera. You can still use it in a lot of things, but then the heights that they were at uh, maybe ten years ago, probably they're not probably not going to get back to. Mine are so old that literally they didn't have the screen on the back. That was a separate module you had to buy and snap it on in order to see anything other than the tiny little postage stamp menu on the front, which was not an easy thing to program with. Chris, you had something to say? 
Oops. No, I can't hear you, Chris. You're I muted. pass. I forgot what I was going to say. I was too entertained by everything else. Okay. And Sky, were you into this? <laughs> well, did we skip you? No. Yes. And I, Chris, to your point, on my GoPro, I was able to connect the app with the phone. It was much easier to get to and see and read. My son's, however, had his password, which, of course, he had forgotten. Resetting the password on a GoPro is not Herculean. It just... It's not easy. We like and to call that non-trivial. Non-trivial. And <laughs> the the 300 YouTube videos that I watched and all of the experts out there that tried to help me was not helpful. Uh, such fun. Well, let's move on. Next question. David Paskin in Miami, Florida here in our panel. I was fascinated yesterday by the suggestion of using Discord for comms. Wondering about the panel's thoughts. Ronnie Settle's going to start us off. So I've used Discord for comms once in an actual show. It worked great. It was uh, not necessarily mission critical, but it was online. I had somebody at their house in their setup uh, so they could hear what I was sending out and to make sure that it sounded good and um, in, a, in, a, in a setting that they were used to. And so we were talking back and forth on that. Um, and of course, with uh, you know, compared to something like Unity, it's going to cost money. And we could have just texted. We could have just had a phone call or FaceTime, but... Um, you know, you're able to just mute your mic, unmute your mic, and you're able to add other people into your server, and they're able to also join in on the comms. Um, and I've also used it uh, before with uh, some actual intercoms on sites. The Solidcom uh, M1 by Hollyland has uh, has a connection to it. Uh, the the regular Clearcom connection, I can't remember. It's four wire, I think. Anyway. And then so I, I same kind of thing, but it was everybody on site. And then I had a, a Discord channel room where you could jump into the comms and, and, and jump into on site. I've used that before as well. So, I mean, it's not as robust, obviously, as uh, as Unity or, or something more uh, because there's there's not there's just one room. Right. There's not a, there's not multiple party lines. So that would be the limitation. But if, if that's all you need, then it works great. Nice. Chris Fenwick. David, I'd be careful. Uh you have to weigh its functionality uh, against your um, your willingness to crash and burn. Um, it 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 will work, and we uh, John and I played with it early on uh, in 2020, and it you could you could do stuff. One of the things that you can do actually is you can drag individuals. If you're the admin, you can drag people between rooms, and if you want to cluster a few people to let them talk about something and then bring them back to the main channel. They can't do that. They might be able to, I don't want to say, but, but be, will understand that it's not the best solution. It's a very cheap solution. It might work, but if, if it's mission critical, I don't think I would uh, recommend trying it. Chris, did you find that using discord for comms made it less stable than regular discord? Cause I don't push discord very hard, but it seems really well, the, stable to me. One thing to keep in mind, especially right now, is Discord has been uh, having a lot of performance issues, mainly because of uh, what's the thing, John? Oh, uh, chat, mid journey, mid journey. A lot of people are using uh, Discord as their canvas or, or a place to push all their mid journey stuff to. So it's just getting hammered right now. And okay, I think sense. John even said it's gone down. It, uh, the other day, it went down like three times or something. So. There's another reason to uh, stick with, you know, stay in your lane and use an actual comm. Sean, you had some thoughts about this? 
The gentleman from California articulated that quite well. I yield my time. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, I mean, you can use anything as a general. I mean, you can all call a number, you know, call, you know, we used to use GoToMeeting when we first got started, where where we just all call in and you just had, you know, GoToMeeting was a great one. It was very inexpensive and we could just get everybody to give everybody a number or put it on their computer or whatever. And that worked fine. As soon as you start doing really any, as soon as you start to scale it all, um, you very quickly want to get out of one PL, one party line. So you want to have multiple party, you don't want, because here's the problem, as soon as you want to start talking to people in their ear, you can't, you now need more more party lines, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and you need directs and you need other things like that. And so, so it starts to get painful um, almost immediately uh, to have one single bridge. You know, and and you see this in broadcast because broadcasters, what they'll do is they'll have a whole their truck will have twenty four PLs and you know forty eight directs and all this other stuff for their show, and they put everybody on the outside, like if you're if, if the producer somewhere else on a on a you know on a bridge, and a bridge is just there's one phone connector that goes in as one channel, and everybody's on that, and you really get to feel the chaos of that when you when you sit in that in that area. And so once you get good at using PLs, you know, when I first did my first comms, I was like, I don't know what I, they were like, well, how many channels do you want? And I'm like, well, why would you need more than one? <laughs> you know, like I was like, it was literally that that's how it always begins is why would you need one? As soon as you're on a show with four PLs or six PLs or eight PLs or, you know, for me, Unity, just, I just feel like I'm being bound, you know, with, uh, you know, bound with leather because it's just, you're so, I'm so used to having eight to 12 PLs and, and buttons that are every person and not having to have multiple pages and not that stupid round thing. And so, so the thing is, is that, you know, the, um, you get used to like a real comm system and even unity can be very contained, you know, for me, we use it because it's inexpensive. Um, but, uh, but it's not, but as soon as you, the problem is always knowing what is on the other side of the hill, <laughs> you know, that, that there's something a lot more robust. Um, but unity is a big jump up from using a single channel, um, and not very expensive. I would definitely use that before I use discord on anything that mattered at all. You know, for for fun stuff, I would, I, you might might do Discord, and I might just have someone call into a. I mean, you can do it on an iPhone just by doing multi party phone call. You know, like if if you wanted to, but a go to meeting, Discord, all those things could could do what you're trying to do. Or Zoom, we've used Zoom as comms. You know, literally just put, you know, um, you can technically have you know build multiple rooms. We've done this where you build multiple rooms and people go into the room that they want to talk to talk about something with somebody. So the producers are all in one room and somebody else is in another room. We do that when we have people who don't want to install anything other than Zoom. You know, we just create like a little set of Zoom rooms that they can, the producers can go in here and the talent can go in here and the da da da, da you know, and they can all just go in and talk amongst themselves. So you can build very, very crude PLs uh, in Zoom as well. I would probably use Zoom over Discord any day of the week. Chris? Yeah, that's a good idea, Alex. I, uh, there's also a feature in Zoom where you can do an all call to all breakout rooms, um, which could be very handy. And I just did a show. I had to actually leave this chair, hated it, had to drive across the bay, hated it more, go to a studio, awful. Um, I actually set up a, 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 a web camera over my shoulder so that the producer in Florida could see the console and could see when like my hands were going to the switcher. So she felt more comfortable that I was actually working. Made her happy. And Mitch Hill. Oh, I'm sorry, Mitch. Oh, Alex, you have, all I was going to say is that it's uh, to build on Chris's um, thing there, um comment there is that when we do, when we want to make 
people feel comfortable too. Is a lot of times we pump a bunch of things into one Zoom room, so the producer can go in there. They can see the show in one of them. They can see an overhead behind our shoulders to see another one. They can see sometimes a witness camera from the studio. They can see the, um, you know, the oftentimes we send our multi views from our switcher into into the Zoom room. So there might be four or five little windows that are going on there, and they can pin any. We explain to them how to pin things, and they can just pin any any one that they want to look at. And it, and that that is a, in some cases a, a better experience for the for folks than even having comms is just just being able to see. And sometimes they're on comms, they're on Unity comms, but they're looking at the, all these windows, and, and it really does make them feel a lot more like they're there, you know, and and that they're they're able to see what's going on. That makes sense. And Mitch, I'd like to see a, a second hour with the Mac Daddy Clearcom and maybe the newcomer Telos, and start uh, you know deciding whether or not one is better than the other for our use. Yeah, I don't know if I described Telos as a newcomer. They've been around for a long, long time. Well, the I'd also like new. to oh. I'd also like to point out that in the early portions of my career, I did a lot of, you know, like, hey, hey, yeah, yelling, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we've been on this a while. Next question. Next one in from Douglas Carmichael. It concerns me that Zoom would require a credit card on file to use Original Sound. Does that mean that I'll have to pay per month to use it, Jason? No, not necessarily, unless they're, you know, preloading for something that has yet to be announced, but by itself, no. Yeah, I, in my experience, often they ask for a credit card because they want to make sure that you're not a kid coming in uh, just to mess things up. That's one of the gatekeeper functions of some things sometimes. Alex? Yeah, and, and we don't know yet what the deal is there. So um, let's not, let's let's just do some more research and, and try to establish that before we, we get too worried about it. Okay, next question. And I have a question. Can Alex give us another HDR review of the assembled panelist? Alex, are you set up for it? Uh, I think so. Hold on. Um, the easiest way to do that is to put us all into a uh, um, into a um, um, the whole whole multi view. <laughs> just just show us the gallery, gallery? here. Is it gallery? Then is I can look. Can we call for the back end to give us gallery view as the yeah, show? Yeah. There you go. And then I need it for a couple seconds. So so I'm a little behind because of course we're streaming. Um, and uh, and I just deleted what I needed out of there. So I'm gonna look at this for a second. So I'm gonna look at it on my phone and try to do the best I can. Oh my goodness. Let's see here. I just um, HDR review live. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll do we'll do more about <laughs> do more of this in a more organized way. Um, you know, I would say that everyone's looking pretty good today. Um, you know, I think that uh, I've also been making some adjustments on the back end, but um, you have to look at it yourself. I, it's going to be hard for us to break this all down, um, you know, on on the show. I, I thought I could, but it's really hard to do on my phone. And when you asked, I tried to show look at it on my iPad, and I can you explain what Alex? You were do you have an? Do you have what I was trying to do is get my iPad to pop up because I can look at it on my iPad easily, you know, the HDR on my iPad because it's streaming to YouTube and HDR. Um, and so we have tests for those of you watching wondering what the heck we're talking about. We're testing HDR in YouTube. And so and uh, next week we'll start testing 5.1. Um, you're not we're not posting it anywhere. It's unlisted, but it's just for me to look at and see, like, how is this going? Um, what I can tell you is with the, just the change in the black levels. Uh, in the FS HDR, just by itself, um, I think that the HDR. You should people anybody who's got a relatively new iPhone or iPad can look at the link that I put into the into the Makana. I think it looks dramatically better than <laughs> the regular one. You know, just by it. You know, without any uh, 
with, with just a little bit of changes. Um, and then what we're going to do is we, I, you might've seen David go really dark or, or and bright right before the show started or before it started streaming. It's because I'm starting to get into the color correction because everyone in this panel is going through a color corrector now. Um, we're not color correct anything yet but i'm starting to we're working with the de development team so that i'll get a list of who's where on those you know on those fshdrs and i can go in and say well david we'll bring david's black levels up a little bit or we'll, we'll we'll move the thing around so i can color correct every single person in this panel but i don't know who they are right now <laughs> i have to guess and um and so uh so i have to kind of go through and just move it back and forth and so we're going to work on that um starting next week you'll probably see us start to do that every show um and I'll, I'll either get a list or i'll be here at 6 30 and when people are doing mic checks figure out who's who and put a little write things down and but then i can start color correcting everybody the next step is for us to do the same thing with people's microphones you know so we have we'll have individual feeds from that um and we'll be able to first sync everybody so that their their sync is pretty perfect the second thing is for us to be able to add eq do other things like that um, and be able to make it work. The third thing is being able to let everybody just leave their mics open and then we manage that on, on our end. Um, and then the fourth thing is to be able to do auto switching so that we're switching based on who's talking. So we take over the, the active speaker so that we can find, do fine tuning. All of that's going to take a couple months. <laughs> so, so it's going to be, you know, it's, but that's, that's, you know, but as we do that, we're going to create a, be able to create a show that you couldn't get close to you know with the vanilla version <laughs> of what of what of what's out there and so um so anyway so that's but that's part of the the process of kind of up up resing the whole show um you know as as we go forward so um hdr what we're shooting for is hdr 5.1 in 4k and the 4k seems extravagant except that uh, is that when you see the multi views of us, it looks really, really good because all of us are at full res you know, at 4K because the you know we're smaller in frame, and so it looks amazing when you look at the 4K super sources. In addition to that, when we uh, when we show 4K HDR surround footage into the show, if you're watching on YouTube, when that happens in, the, in a couple of weeks, we'll start testing that. Um, when we plumb that into the show, like hey, we're going to do a playback, and then we play it in. And it's HDR and 4K and and surround. Um, then it, that footage will look amazing, <laughs> you know. And so we'll look better, and that footage will jump out. And so the goal is, is to be able to have an HDR pipeline where we fit in. We look like we look normal, but we can do playback and other things at at high high dynamic range. Mitch, you had a question. Yeah, actually, for Alex, uh, it, th is there any advantage to shooting 4K into your uh, ATEM to having it down sampled? Uh, the little, 1080 and a little, I mean, out. you're oversampling. So everything's yep. always going to be a little bit better if you're doing 4K into it. Um, I know that when you do green screen, a lot of times we like to green screen at 4K and then go down to 1080p because it's, it is, uh, it gives us a, most of our signals are 422 and it gives us the, uh, really the oversampling that we need to get an effective 444 uh, key out of that, out of that process. So there is some advantage to that. It's not a, it's not a massive advantage right now, but especially going through Zoom to get to us. Um, and again, you know, we're, uh, one of the hardest things about HDR and surround is that people do an, do an event and they, they all get ramped up to it. And it takes, you know, they do three events a year or five events a year in HDR and, and surround. Our goal is to do it every day because we'll get really good at it. <laughs> so, so the goal is, is that we'll keep on giving people updates, you know, every, every couple of weeks or every couple of months of, as we go through this. 
But you know, the goal is that we'll be doing five one HDR ten to to YouTube with, uh, and then we'll be doing eventually Atmos and Vision to a to its own player. And there's just nobody else doing that every day in the world. Like nobody do. Like I'm, I, I work on this. There's <laughs> nobody doing that every day. So, so, um, so right now. And so, what we want to do is get to a point where we don't even think about it. Like we just know how it works. We know what it looks like, and we'll we'll all learn about how to do that together. And it'll create a bunch of problems. It's creating a bunch of problems and it will create more problems, but but we'll learn it and then be able to teach other people how to do it. And all of us will know how to do it. So that's the, you know, that's the goal. I know it sounds, you know, it sounds crazy, but it it is, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting problem. And uh, if we do it every day, <clears throat> we'll have a group of people, hundreds of people eventually that can go out and show other people how to do it or get hired to be consultants <laughs> because we're the, we know how exactly how all of that works. It also means we can do training and in Vision and Atmos or training in 5.1 and HDR 10. And no one can, I haven't seen anybody do that in the world. So, so you know, so we want to do a training class. I can show you what Atmos or or, or show you what what HDR 10 looks like in HDR, in, in, but show you that what, what everyone always says is they have, here's what HDR kind of looks like in 100 nits. And then we make one darker that says this is SDR. But now we're going to be able to say this is this is 1,000 nits. This is 100 nits. You know, like you, you, you can you can see both of those, um, and that's uh, that's going to be a different different experience when we start doing more training in HDR and, and surround. So, so stay tuned for that. It's um, going to be fun. Next question from Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California. Are there tricks to making screen sharing work more reliable in Zoom Zoom ISO? Last night, I discovered that active screen share works more often. Chris, can you tell us a little more about the circumstances and what you were what you were setting up and what didn't didn't work? Uh, yeah, I'm right now. I'm watching Alex in HDR on a delay. Um, so th the deal is with the screen ISO under mode. You by default you probably pick participant, which means on that ISO channel you can select which person you want to push out that um, that output. But you can also choose, um, uh, hold on, let me uh, change my mouse one second. You can also choose the screen share. Uh, and it doesn't work really reliably. Like sometimes it works. And when it does, it's awesome. But if it does, but if it's not working, I mean, it's a nightmare. Like reboot, you know, turn off the machine, re relaunch ISO. But last night I noticed under that list, uh, that pop-down list of choices, you have participants, screen share, active speaker spotlight, and also active screen share. And when I selected active screen share, it seemed to be much more reliable and actually worked. And I think what that means is maybe multiple people can be sharing screens and whoever talks, but if only one person is sharing a screen, then uh, it, it appears to stay on that. But I was just wondering if anybody knew any tricks to making it more um, reliable, and I can see from Mukana. Is there no. is there a difference in uh, is there a reason you wouldn't use active screen share all the time? Well, I think uh, it it would seem, if I'm understanding the minds of Liminal, uh, that screen share would be the thing to choose. Uh, I don't see a problem in using active screen share. And it seems like it's the best choice since it's actually uh, working more reliably. Well, yeah, because oh. you can only screen share one thing, I think one thing at a time in most events. 
in most things. So I'm, I'm curious what, what the two different, what's the difference between the know. two? I don't no, know. This is an interesting answer. problem because, we, and we'll yeah. bring it up to the folks that need to be chatted with about it. But the, but yeah, I don't know why you would, if, if you can only actively screen share one thing at a time, because I think as soon as you start trying to screen share something that, that kicks the other person off, you know, it can only do one at a time. So why there would be a screen share and an active screen share is. I wonder if there's a piece where um, somebody who's doing uh, the active screen share thing and coughs or something like that, it would pull it to them. Maybe it just no, focuses it on. It's active screen share. It's not active share. camera. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's, we'll, something we'll have to keep on researching. Good question. We'll keep continue to look into it. Um, next question. And from Tony Mobley in Newton, Georgia. Tony asks, how do I bring in Mimo Call for a Zoom meeting and Mimo Live event? Alex is going to help us out here. Yeah, have them call into Zoom. Like, like I'm sorry, like I don't, like I don't, like I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know why you would use a memo call when you could use Zoom to do that and then feed that back in. Um, uh, that's the part that I don't that, that I would be confused by, and I and I admit that I'm I tend to be very modal. Like if I decide that everything's going to be. If I decide that everything's going to be, um, you know, my my inner communication, my editing is happening in one of these editing packages, uh, whether it's Memo, Memo Live is the one I primarily use. But I don't think of using, I would be using the Zoom and delivering Zoom via, you know, whatever I'm going to do back to Memo, not a Memo call back to Zoom. If you wanted to do that, you could probably do it with loopback. So you would, you would create an output and tell Memo, go out to that output. And then send that send that into you via loopback. You'd send it back into Zoom and give Zoom a. And what you do is, if you had your own people talking, you can go into Screen Share. You go to the Advanced into Computer and say Add Computer Audio and set that computer audio to the the device you created in loopback, so that you're going out of out of Memo Live into loopback, and then into and then what it'll do is it'll go in there. Now remember, it doesn't have any any of the tools that you would have like. It's not going to cut between people or anything else, but it will give you clean audio as a separate audio feed from the people that are in Zoom, if that's what you're trying to do. But generally, I manage all the calls in, in Zoom, audio or video. David, you had a thought? I don't know about Tony's specific use case, but I can imagine, um, you know, unless you are using, sorry, if I want to grab someone from Zoom, maybe using Zoom ISO, bring them into Mimo Live or Ecamm so that I can then apply lower thirds or do all this other stuff and then send them back into a Zoom meeting. Um, then I have to have two separate Zoom meetings running and there's a, a there's a lot of a lot of work there. Uh, it may be the best route to go, but there's a lot of work there. As opposed to if someone just calls into Ecamm or Mimo Live, I can do all the production and then just send that once into Zoom. Or a breakout room. You can have everybody go to a breakout room you do the production out of there. And that's what we do a lot. <laughs> we do a lot of people pushing people into a breakout room. Now, we usually use separate meetings. And the reason we do that is because the meeting controls may be different. So I may be going into a webinar, or I may go into a meeting with a password, or I may have all kinds of other things that I'm doing in a meeting that I want the participants, the viewers to see. Um, usually with the hope, with the guests, I want them to not have to do anything. So I want to take off, I want to put them in a waiting room and I want to give take away the password and the required to log in so that it's just they just hit a button and they immediately go into where they need to go. And then I move them in. And the reason we move them into a breakout room from there is specifically so that if someone random 
goes into that room. They don't jump into our show. So we put them in a we put them in a breakout room from there. So it's easy for them to get into, but I still have to move them into the room that I need them in. That's what we do here for the show too. I mean, this, there's a couple rooms that I think you get moved through to get to the host. This this show that people are watching. If you don't know how the mechanics work, we're in a different meeting than you are. <laughs> like if you're in Zoom right now watching, we're in a different meeting, you know, and we're being piped into into you into your meeting. And I. I highly recommend either using breakout rooms or using a separate meeting to 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 do that. Um, and I I do think that if you're trying to have any kind of interaction, things get pretty convoluted pretty quickly. And I would Zoom is much better built for audio and video than most of the, in my opinion, most of the editing apps. David, do you have a follow up? I agree 100. Uh, percent I, I think the persistent challenge with having your talent in a different room or a different breakout room or a different meeting is the lack of access to um, chat and and Q and A and things like that. Unless you're using a tool like Mukana, right. which most people which don't I, use. Right. Um, but you know, for most people who are who are living in in the Zoomiverse, uh, who rely on chat and and Q and A, not having everybody in this, it's just it's a challenge. That's all. Okay. Yeah. And the way to think about that is something like Zoom OSC that's going to go in and grab. All, you know, again, this isn't the vanilla version, but the non-vanilla version is to use something like Zoom OSC to go grab that chat and go grab, you know, it's just, just displaying. Um, you generally don't want, in my opinion, you don't want most hosts to be interacting with the chat directly or the Q&A directly. You want to create a, you know, some in-between, someone else managing that for them so that they get to see what they need to see. The, the really, the big challenge for a host that is why we have so many tools inside of Mokana to do this is because being present is really hard to do as a be live. And when you let the host look at the chat, you get a lot of this. And um, we're going to now look at David, you know, like, and there's, I guess some people like that. I find it to be very unprofessional. <laughs> so, so I don't want, I don't want the host looking at that. I want things delivered to the host. Um, the panelists here have a way to do that. Um, we have teleprompter, you know, teleprompter views and all, and many things that can be done to some degree without Mukana, you know, in Google Docs, you know, like literally before we had Mukana, we literally put Google Docs up in front of a, uh, someone, <laughs> there's a screen under the window that we just put the questions that they need to answer up there and, and, and threw that in there. But don't, I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't have your talent looking directly at the chat. And, and there's a whole bunch of reasons not to do that. One is that they get distracted. Two is if the chat goes south, it really ruins the experience for the host. You know, if people get mean or they get upset or they start picking at something, you, the host can get derailed and you don't want them to see the raw feed, you know, pretty much ever. <laughs> you know, that's usually, you know, like that, that's what we try to do is keep it. We do it here because we're thick skinned. But in when I, the first thing that I do when I get into an event is remove the host from any, seeing any kind of raw feed of the text from the viewers, especially in a larger event because every large event dredges up you know the the online balrog you know pretty quickly as soon as you get to a big event so right, let's move on we next question xander snell in miami beach florida what is your favorite tv for budget multi-view monitoring do you use the audio from the tv at the td or technical director's position courtney uh, I use a lot of these. Uh, TCL makes a 55-inch, which is kind of the sweet spot. You can get them for like $253 on eBay or about $300 and some dollars uh, on Amazon. They're uh, a 4K panel. They support HDR. They're great for multi-view. 
uh, because they're a 4K panel. If you if you have a 4K multi-view or a 1080p, they work just fine. The speakers, eh, I wouldn't use the speakers for monitoring because it's difficult to control them because you have to use a remote. Uh, we usually use a, um, a HDMI uh, audio extractor. I just put that in line if you have audio running down your uh, multi-view and extract the audio out to uh, a pair of uh, RCA connectors or whatever and feed them into amplified speakers that you have a remote uh, audio knob, control knob on, so you can easily grab the audio monitor to turn it up or down as needed. But um, those work pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, they have the Roku interface built in, but you're probably not going to be using that uh, too much. Uh, and it does do AirPlay if you have to hook up an Apple, you know, stream to it over an Apple device or throw a video to it from a portable, uh, a portable phone or something. So it, in a pinch, it can do that as well. Let's go to the next question. Sky Gleason, Seattle, Washington. And here in our panel, I got to put a Sigma Cinema lens on my Blackmagic Cinema 6K. If the glass is the same on the inside, why would I want a cinema housing rather than Sigma's art lens? Sky's going to start us out here. I just wanted to thank Guy Cochran for the opportunity yesterday. The Sigma rep came to his facility, and I'm re reasonably close. So I jumped in the car and ran up there and was able to test it. It's butter. Oh, it's so pretty. But I am curious, the the price difference and all of the other functionalities. Uh, Alex, I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah. you want to explain why would the I want that? Alex? I, I, you know, I don't know that lens, but I can tell you generally cinema lenses are able to back focus. So you're, they're parafocal. So you can basically back focus the, the, um, the lens so that you can zoom through it. So a regular lens is not going to back. If it doesn't have back focus, you can't, you can't go from wide to close up on the same focus, right? The focus is changing as you're moving. So you got to be able to have that back focus. The second thing is usually you have gears on the outside of the cinema lens. And so that way you can put motors on it or you can put follow focus. So the, usually the big things that change are the ability to back focus if, if it wasn't there or not and the gears on the outside of the lens. And usually the markings on the lens are slightly different that are that are built for follow focus and, and, um, and those types of things as opposed to it. You can get away with film. But again, the problem you end up with is your your regular still still lenses are going to be changing in focus, and so that you're constantly moving out and then refocusing. You can't do these, you know, kind of now. People who mostly use prime say that's what you should do anyway. <laughs> like, you know, so so anyway, so it's that you shouldn't be doing that while you're you shouldn't be zooming while you're while you're rolling. Um, that's you know my my brother would tell you that over and over again. Like, why would you do that? Why would you move the lens, the uh, the 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 focal length while you're while you're actually um, shooting it? That, he said, my zoom is my feet. So anyway, so so anyway, that's another another thing. Uh, I've also noticed that sometimes on cinema lenses, the focus uh, range is much bigger on a still photography lens. There will be a you know full out to full in there on a cinema lens. It'll be more than that. It's designed for that kind of gear operation. Let's go to the next question. David Paskin, Miami, Florida, asking: Taking a plunge into Bumblebee IFBs, what model should I get? David Paskin. I'm not answering my own question. I just want to add, <clears throat> and forgive me if this is, sounds silly, but curly or straight? Alex, what do you think? You get In a addition to model. Straight. Straight. <laughs> get straight. Don't get curly. Don't get curly. It, it gets caught up in everything. Um, you know, so you don't want to... Uh, yeah, don't get curly. Uh, we got lots of curly ones for a while with um, other in-ears, and they just get... They, they'll get kinked, and they'll get caught up in things, and they'll get... You just want just get straight um so straight lines um there it does pull a little bit but it's worth it because man the curly ones are just a nightmare 
So um, uh, I like both ears. Um, that, that's going to be really up to other people. You can the, in, the the bubble bees have versions that are opened and versions that are closed. So I don't like to hear anything while I'm on a show. I don't even like people to talk when I'm on the phone. <laughs> so 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 I'm, you know, it's hard for me to hard enough for me to pay attention to everything that's going on. So I don't. I like it to be just closed off. Um, they're really good. I will say that I don't use them on a day to day basis on this show, not because. They're more expensive, and I, I'm trying to keep them in good shape. But because the audio isn't as good as these these SC10s, you know, the in the linsoles that I use, um, I did. By the way, we talked about the twenty seven dollar linsoles. Um, no high end, just in case you're wondering. I bought them. <laughs> no high end, like like it sounds like underwater compared to the regular ones. Anyway, so remember the in ear makes less expensive ones that look almost identical to the Bubble Bee. I people think that they're the same manufacturer. I'm not sure that they're that's the case. Um, but, but I, you know, there's, there's the in-ear and then there's the, the bubble bees. I love the bubble bees. And when I'm doing things that, that high profile events or I'm, and especially we like to use them for actual comms at times. So we, we've used them in, in our comm systems, the, the, uh, the bubble bees. Um, and, uh, and they, I know this will sound crazy, but clients notice that you have these crazy, really thin little things when you're using them for IFBs, people come up and talk to you about it and. I've actually paid for all of the cost of all of those by a couple jobs that I got because literally someone came up and asked how, what what was in my ear, um, you know. So so you know they're worth they're worth it. Um, again, they're very good for very low profile. Um, they're not the quality on any of them is not nearly as high as these fifty dollar uh, linsoles. You know, like the I get I I had to literally t take these out for I think someone people were here when I did it. I put these in, and I was hearing so much noise that I was creating on my desk and I found it so distracting that I had to take them out because I couldn't even do the show. Um, and that, and I had been using bubble bees for a while. So you want to know that you're not going to hear as much. They're really just for the voice, but you won't hear all the other stuff around it. Um, and I, I think that that's valuable. So on a regular day-to-day -day basis, I use the linsoles for a handful of events that are high profile, especially if I'm actually in a real world mm -hmm. environment, I use the, the, uh, bubble bees. Would and I am an, in the air and I'm a curly guy. The back of that. And it's because it never pops out. I have all sorts of trouble with visible wires unless I'm using those spring-loaded ones. The good ones, you learn how to rig them right. Let's Alex, move would on. You be, oh, would you be willing to put uh, a link in, in, in Mukana to your lintels? Yeah, yeah. I'll put it yeah. in Mukana. All right, let's move on to the next question. Douglas Carmichael's here asking, many U.S. federal agencies have bug bounty programs that pay security researchers, even private citizens, for verified vulnerabilities in public-facing applications. How do said researchers learn their craft? Courtney Gooden, and we have a lot of questions here, so see if you can get through it pretty quickly here. It's called uh, pen testing, which is short for penetration testing, and uh, here's a good site called Imperva, and I'll put a link to it in the chat that uh, talks about uh, the, all the different stages of, uh, of doing penetration testing as a, as a business, which is what you're talking about. Jason, you have a quick comment to add? Yeah, they learn by doing. Yeah, fair enough. Next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana, asking, in talking to a friend last night from our local tourism board, in-motion broadcasting was discussed, and he wants a quote on broadcasting their 24-mile bike ride. Other than it being a long stream, any big gotchas using Starlink in motion? Uh, Courtney. Oops, I'm not here. Sorry, sorry, you caught me typing. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I wouldn't know how to quote this, and I'm not sure how you would, uh, if you have a strap that Starlink uh, in motion to the back of a bike or something, I guess you would follow along in a motorhome would be the best way to go, and then maybe have uh, uh, mobile cameras mounted on several of the bikers that are transmitting over Wi-Fi or microwave back to the mobile home, which is chasing them along. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to bid something like that. Alex, you have some experience with Starlink? You think it'll work? The, the star the Starlink isn't your problem on a twenty four mile ride. It's it's getting all the connections back. Um, so you're not going to use Starlink for that. You need a wireless, you know, wireless pickups. Now the thing you have to decide is whether you're covering the entire route or covering specific routes. A lot of times we use um, wireless, either point to point or um, or RF. Um, but we have to basically run fiber to those locations. You decide some races. You think that you're seeing everything. You're really just seeing where they can get transmission. So um, you, you you know as as the lead breaks up you know that happens um that, that that starts to happen there but um you can get things that'll go a very long distance and then you have to put receivers in a you know build a mesh of receivers and then you have those things go through but a lot of times you don't cover the entire event unless you have the budget and we've definitely done races where we have the budget of a lot um but but you you know you still have to pick and choose your your battles there um related to that next question Next one in for Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. Anyone tried, and there's a link to a bird dog video wall overview. Uh, since it, it works with the bird dog play, it seems like a cost-effective solution. Yeah, I'm just looking at the website real quick. It looks like it's $495, but it doesn't, you know, a powerful way to display NDI and NDI HX videos across multiple screens. I've never tried to use it, but it sounds like interesting technology for those of you who are looking for this kind of thing. Uh, hopefully, next time somebody will have some direct experience with it. Let's go to the next question. Arshid Trivedi from Daytona Beach. Did anyone get a chance to watch the Samsung event yesterday? What were your production thoughts to their presentation? Yeah, I don't think anybody that I know has been talking about it. Alex, did you get some I, some sense I of related? To, I didn't get to see it. Um, uh, it'd be good. This is definitely a place to put links because <laughs> I don't. I, I you know we can't find it quick enough for the show if it's after seven a.m. So I'm not sure. I probably would have looked at it if I'd found the link to it. Um, the thing that I always expect from Samsung is that uh, that it, there'll be a lot of LED problems in the background, moray and so on and so forth. I don't know if they did that or not this time, but that's usually common on a Samsung event. They're really into LEDs and they don't usually look very good. It makes, me, it makes me so upset. I only usually watch a couple minutes of, of Samsung events because the the Marais makes me so crazy that I'm like, I just got to walk away. <laughs> just, you know, so, but 200 megapixel camera, like 200 megapixel camera. I don't know how good those pixels are, but 200 megapixel. There you go. Burned by Moray. Next question. Next question from Hazma Gajar in Cape Town, South Africa. Starting the Zoom ISO engine, the recording icon at Zoom disappears. Can I do both? Record the event in the cloud and use Zoom ISO. The recording icon at Zoom appears as soon as I stop the Zoom ISO engine. Should I record from joining the meeting and record? Yeah, I wonder if just they figure that the bandwidth is too much to do both at the same time. I might be wrong about that. Alex, what are your thoughts? You can't record if you're, rec if you're recording in the cloud. You cannot record. You cannot get it. Um, Zoom ISO to to do that as well at the same time. So you have to have, it's one or the other. And I think the assumption is, is that if you're using Zoom ISO, you could record the program right from something local. You know, so I would, I would probably look at that, but you can't, I don't think you can record in the cloud and use Zoom ISO at the same time. Makes sense. Next question. Andre Dole in Berlin asking Alex, memo live question, is there a possibility to get a visual preview of a complete layer set before recalling it to live? Alex, thoughts? Uh, I think that what you're talking about, you should, you, oh, I think that, um, 
you should be able to select that layer uh, before it goes live, but I'm not 100% sure. I think that you have to, uh, I haven't, it's, not a, it's not a behavior that I use, you know, because I'm, I'm cutting things pretty manually uh, the way I use Memo. So I don't, um, I'd have to, we'd have to take a look at that. But we are going to be doing some Memo labs in the near future. So we'll probably have uh, someone who knows a lot about it in the lab. So, um, so stay tuned uh, for that. Um, we're going to, a couple of us are going to kind of hack through it's not going to be organized the way that David does eCam. It'll be mostly a bunch of us jumping on and trading notes. <laughs> so, so it'll just be like, here's what I do. Here's what I do. Why doesn't this work? There's going to be a lot of that uh, coming up in the, in the near future. Let's go to the next question. Paul Wallace in te Austin, Texas. What features should you look for in a USB XLR combo microphone? And we don't have much time left. I'd like to get through this in a, in a minute or so. We're about down to that for to get through all our questions. So within 15 seconds or so, let's start with Jason. Cynic in me says, show me one that I want to use and I'll tell you. Sky Gleason. My MV7 has both. Uh, just be wary that you can snag the USB-C cable on the bottom and you can bend it. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Courtney Gooden. Uh, look for something that has a local headphone out on the bottom of it so that if you're using it as a USB microphone, you get uh, a local non-delayed feed through uh, into your headphones at an adjustable level for that headphone feed. Uh, and most of these are dynamic mics. Make sure the dynamic XLR output has enough signal gain to drive the mixer that you're plugging it into if you're using it that way. Mitch, can you wind us up in 10 seconds? Yeah, volume. There you go. Less than 10 seconds. Well done. Next question. Next question from Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. Has anyone tried out a graphics live? Looks interesting for cloud production. I have not, and I don't know anybody who's talked about it. I haven't seen anything on the web. That doesn't mean it's bad. I just have to take a look at it. David Paskin has some has a quick Yeah, I, I watched the rollout. It's it's uh, connected to um, uh, um, H2R graphics, or it's built on the same sort of platform. It's essentially uh, gives you a, a, a URL that you can then grab and put over as a an alpha overlay on top of uh, in Mimo Live or VMix or Ecamm. It's pretty basic at this point, but it, it looks pretty cool. Alex, yeah, we'll get him on. We should get John on. We haven't had John on for quite some time, so let's get let, if someone's watching in the background. Let's get John on. All right. Excellent. Go right to the source. We'll know everything if he's here. Uh, next question. Robin Cutshaw, Atlanta, Georgia, asking, what is your uh, inner ear monitor plugged into? How do you route different sources to them? Mitch, take it away. I'm lucky enough to have a Studio Tech 205. Uh, here it is. And um, I, because it's Dante, I can send pretty much anything that's on the network into it. Alex? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, my in-ears are going straight out of my mix pre. So I'm, I'm able to hear that, um, that. Now my mic goes through the studio, my my. Studio Technologies Model 205 as well. So I, what's nice is when I mute, I suddenly don't hear myself, which means I know I'm on mute. If I hear myself, I know that I'm coming to you live. So I try to, it, it allows me to know what's going on. Courtney, real quick. Well, real quick, uh, mine's plugged into the Rodecaster Pro 2, and I wish I had the latest version of the firmware, which it will refuse to upgrade to. Sorry about that. And I'm using uh, Loopback just to pull it right off my Universal Audio Apollo feed. And uh, the folks in the back end are helping me do that. So let's go to the last question here. Jack Rappel in Breckenridge, Colorado. With the coming changes to YouTube Shorts, I propose content-rich creation recording at two times speed, no background music, no cheesy branding documenting, and links in single frames near chapter markers set up for multi-device viewing and listening. That sounds like an interesting approach, Alex. 
I think that would be difficult. You know, like I don't, I don't know if people would. You'd have to do one to see to have us see whether that actually made any sense at all. Um, you know, so I think that the real challenge uh, with uh, shorts is you really the best way to deal with shorts and TikTok is to look at what everybody else is doing. You're gonna if you're not in that flow of doing that, it has to be considerably better than what everybody else is doing. Um, so a lot of times I spend a lot of time looking at shorts, and I've spent a lot of time. Looking at TikToks and the, and the the what is cool um, takes you know it keeps moving it keeps wandering around of what that looks like and what the algorithms want and what you are putting out and so you have to pay a lot of attention to that you can get creative but usually creative just means you're going to put a lot of work into something that four people are going to watch yeah sometimes those algorithms and things like that have another purpose behind the thing so I think Alex is exactly right I, you know you probably could do that but I'm not sure if you would be maximizing uh, the ability of the shorts to pull focus and viewers if that's what you want so thank you everybody for great answers here in our first hour we're just about five seconds away from the top of the hour and we're going to move to our special guest so everybody um, thank you again for all the answers and now let us welcome to the panel our guest this is going to be exciting. Uh, we've been preparing for this for a long time. Chris, uh, Chris is, um, oh, wait a second. I lost a note here. Uh, good heavens. Chris, introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Chris Sabato. Uh, my official title is Assistant Athletic Director for Media at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. Um, we're a small private liberal arts college, uh, uh, Division three school. Um, so uh, what I do basically in our within the athletics department is anything technical or creative kind of falls under my uh, purview. And so I do all our social media, I do our graphic design, and I do all our web streaming. And um, over the past, you know, 10 years, that's it's increased, you know, tenfold for what we do and, and what our competitors are doing. Um, but our budget doesn't and the, the people that we get to, to help in those matters doesn't. And so what I do a lot of is finding creative ways to make our broadcast better, to add bells and whistles without adding a ton of cost and without people. And so that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm here to talk about. Thank you, Chris. And I know that you've been a big presence in after hours talking about all this stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about how you get to start in the area that we're working in now? Um, well, uh, I, I got a degree in electrical engineering and, uh, after, uh, uh, after I graduated from college, I naturally became a, a track and field coach, um, natural progression. Um, and so I was a track and field coach for 11 years. And during that time, it, it kind of started out, I was coaching and doing some of this other stuff for our track program. And as I, it went on, it became coaching and doing stuff for other teams in the program to no longer coaching and doing all this stuff for other teams. And so it's just a, over the course of about 11 years, a transition into um, you know, media type stuff. Um, and, you know, with my engineering background, like trying to make things work together to me, was just, it's exciting and it's fun. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, have, have bosses that were supportive of, of kind of me just kind of going my own route and finding my own path and uh, developing things that I thought were valuable. So it was it the coaching that led you into thinking that you wanted to work in the sports side of this production and and what have you discovered about how this works in the real world of what you practice now? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I was a college athlete and um, so I was that got me into coaching and and um, I, I always I, I was a track and field athlete and 
track and field is one of the sports that doesn't get as much love as football or basketball. And so I was always trying to like up the game. What can we do for our sport? Um, and, and so that, that kind of hooked me into this kind of line of stuff. And, and then, you know, once I'm, once you're on the train, you just keep going. In sports specifically, what things do you do now that maybe those in general production don't, what are, what are some of the specialities of approaching a sports event? What's different about it? Uh, well, the, the two big things for sports is really the replay aspect. Um, being able to <coughs> show back something, you know, right away is super important in sports. Um, and there's a lot of data and graphics um, in sports, it, at least the way I do it. And, you know, when, you know, we've had whole second hours on the, the data and graphics in sports. And so um, I, I think those are two components that um, may not be as prevalent in, you know, corporate work and stuff like that. Yeah, probably not. But we talk a lot, a lot about them. Have you found systems? Uh, has it evolved a lot so that it's easier today, or is it just as difficult as it was maybe when you got into the business? Every well, it, it, it's gotten easier and cheaper. But with with that becomes it becomes more complex, and because you can do more, you do more, and um, it, it, the job doesn't get any easier; it just gets more. Can you describe a little bit about what are the kinds of things you used to do as overlays and graphics in the early days? And what have you evolved into now? What can you do today that because of this easier equipment that you couldn't yeah. do before? So when we first started, um, well, our first, the first, you know, really streams that, that I did were, uh, we, we streamed swimming and volleyball with a Logitech C920 plugged into a camera and wirecast, you know, that was that was it. Um, and then we gradually progressed like, well, we, we want a scoreboard on there. And so, you know, Wirecast had some functionality where you can manually type, you know, plus one plus and that became cumbersome. And so then we got to the point where we were doing, we could do a second camera and focus that camera just on the scoreboard and then cut it out so that, you know, you could see just the digits. And then that got fancier where we were, we would cut out just the digit and place that little digit into a graphic. And then it got to the point where we could we could do you know live graphics and you know the first one we started with was uh, with New Blue and we used New Blue Title Live for a while and uh, that was pretty revolutionary for for us to be able to to get you know live data uh, on our stream pretty easily and fairly affordable. I'm interested also you know NC two A so you're probably covering local games around there. What is your audience geographic profile? Are you making a show just for the local people, or are you making a show that goes out on the internet to the entire world so that people interested in those teams can follow that? Right. So so we're a small school, and I work for the school, so I don't cover anything but our events. And um, our primary uh, uh, demographics are you know our our the parents of our student athletes, the alumni and recruits. Um, and probably in that order is, is the numbers that we get. Um, most of, most of its parents, um, and, you know, maybe some friends of student athletes, stuff like that. You know, our broadcasts aren't big. Anyone can watch them, but they're not, they don't draw huge numbers. Um, you know, I think our football games average about a thousand, uh, somewhere between a thousand and 2000, depends on who we're playing. Um, our, most of our other sports are probably around 300, uh, uniques per, per event. Um, so not not huge numbers. Um, you know, our tennis broadcasts are, you know, tens. And yeah. but that's one of those things where it's, it, it, you know, the, the target audience is just so much smaller. Um, but in in small college athletics, uh, a lot of times we do things because it's the right thing to do and not because it's the 
not because of a financial decision. And is so, your delivery 100% web or do you have yes. a local broadcasters, local cable interface? It's just 100% nope. web. 100% okay. web. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. So tell me, walk us through a little bit about what a typical shoot uh, prep for you. So take us through either whatever you think would be more interesting, a week of prep for the show or just a day of the show. What what would you normally encounter? Yeah. So uh, a lot of a lot of what I do is really it's it's about managing equipment and um, we've got a lot of things going on and some 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 weeks we'll have just one event and other weeks we'll have five and so how can I distribute that equipment to to make the most of it and you know the during the winter season basically basketball and swimming are kind of the only sports we have going so those broadcasts end up being a little bit more because I have more equipment to to pull from. Um, you know, in the spring when we've got, you know, baseball, softball, lacrosse, tennis, all going at the same, possibly all literally going at the exact same time, that equipment gets spread out. And because of that, you know, we can, we can do less with it. Um, so usually what I'm doing is looking at, um, what we have going and it's like, okay, do we, can I move some equipment around? Can I, can I add, can I take away, um, what do we need to do to get through this week? Um, and, um, Depending depending on the on the sports we have going, it sometimes it's an easy job, and sometimes it's you know I'm pulling my hair out trying to trying to make things work. And you said something in your preview about one man banding it. Do you have help at some times, and you have to do it all by yourself at others? And how does that break out? What do you do if you've got three events, and is it just you? Yeah, so it depends on the sport. Um, one man band is more of a general concept. Um, you know, our, our most advanced broadcasts would be probably volleyball and basketball. And for those, we, it, it's a, a two to three man show. And so I'm running, I'm the director, the replay, the audio, all that stuff. We'll have one camera operator and possibly a play-by-play. So for basketball, we'll have a play-by-play volleyball. We probably wouldn't. And so um, that's it. Um, and then for, for baseball and softball, it's, Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a one man show. Sometimes it's a no man show. And it's just, I start it, connect all the data feeds and just let it do its thing. Um, so, you know, if we've got, if we've got baseball, softball and lacrosse going at the same time, baseball and softball broadcasts are basically going to be kind of a static camera with the, with the, the data graphics. And that's kind of it. Um, and it, it's unfortunate. I wish we could do more, but um, we, we struggle with finding um, student work that are really interested in this type of thing. You know, Willamette's a, a liberal arts college and uh, the workers I have, um, they're there for the same reason that they would get a job at the dining hall swiping cards. They, they just need a paycheck and they're not looking to do this past the job. And so um, it's always a struggle to find, find help in, in that regard. This is very interesting. A lot of things to think, but let's get into some of our questions from the audience and we'll come back to some other topics afterwards. First question, Mitch. From Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway. Ronnie asks, doing everything yourself, how do you listen to audio, program audio, intercom, remote audio, and streaming audio? Three headsets, one headset with advanced mix or what? <laughs> uh, sometimes it can be a challenge um, because it's such a small crew. We, like, we have comms, but we don't use it a lot because there's not there's not a lot to be said. Um, you know, if I've got one manned camera, that camera basically needs to assume they're live the whole time. And there'll be times I cut away from them, but they, that's, 
there's there's nothing it that's that camera is primarily a you know a wide sweep camera and so it needs to be a safe shot i can always cut to and so i don't need to really be talking to them a ton you know letting them know what i'm doing because it's not going to change what they need to do um, are these so, fixed or panty pen tilt zoom cameras that you can maybe move a shot over time so um we had one pan tilt zoom that took a tumble so now we have no pan tilt zooms um most of our cameras are just static we use a lot of um we use the marshall pov cameras we use a lot of those we use a lot of the ada uh ndi pov cameras and then we have one um one um JVC man camera mounted on rails and you know the whole setup so that um, it's easily operatable. And since you mentioned it, he mentioned remote audio and the questions. What do you do for audio? How do you approach that for these different events? Um, to me, audio is pretty important, and so I'm always trying to make sure we have good audio, make sure we have ambient audio, uh, make sure we're bringing in. Um, uh, it, it's one of those things where if you have bad audio and good video, people are going to turn it off. You know, and they they won't the other way. So I'm always trying to make sure that our audio is good. Um, being a one man shop, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, I just had an incident, you know, a couple of weeks ago where somewhere in the chain, what I was monitoring sounded fine, but before it went to the stream, it got distorted, and you know, I I didn't catch that, and um, that's um, one of the one of the things you deal with when you're when you're you know working on shoestring budgets and just trying to get things out there is that things fall through the cracks and um i try to not but sometimes it happens i think mitch has a question for you from here in the panel mitch yeah chris uh, welcome aboard it's always good to see you and of course i spent a lot of time with you on after hours um do you have a shot that you could show us what your operating position looks like so we can see all the integration and things you have going on yeah let me Share my screen. And so you're on premises at the university, correct? Yeah, I, our, I, I'm at the university and um, the control room is basically my office. And um, most of our broadcasts kind of happen, you know, from my office. And this, this is an example of a couple a week or two ago where we had a basketball game and a swim meet going on at the same time. And so I'm trying to manage both broadcasts. And I mean, you can see, you know, down in the in the corner there, and this one here, and this one here, those are all for the swim broadcast and um, everything else is for the basketball. And so this is a case where the basketball was kind of getting the priority, um, but I was also kind of monitoring what was happening on the swim meet and making sure that, you know, the, the graphics were uh, populating correctly and, um, the scoreboards were showing and all that. Uh, and are those yeah. those little Marshall cameras? And do you have them in a fixed position or do you set them up and take them down for each meet? So it, it depends. Um, let's, right. So this is an example. This is what this is what I'm looking at when for basketball. This is a screenshot of my my um, computer. And you can see in uh, the multi views um, like this one and this one are both Marshall cameras. And the other, so yeah, two, three are Marshall cameras, and then uh, four, five, and six are all ADA NDI cameras, and they're just fixed, and they're just you know right there. The 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 ADA ones, the, the they're NDI, and they just stay there, you know, until the end of the season. The Marshall ones uh, get attached under the hoop, and I take those down at the end of the game. 
I'm presuming there's no commentary during these during these events. So you just uh, do you have like just ambient mics out at courtside it, and let that it, be the whole thing? It it depends. So for okay. basketball, we we have play by play person. Um, oh, okay. Um, and so we have that. We also have for basketball. There's uh, three ambient mics. There's one underneath the the table on the floor. There's one um, basically attached just underneath the hoop, so you can you know hear that whoosh when they hit the swoosh. Um, and, and then, you know, we also bring in, uh, the PA, uh, announcers for, you know, the intros and stuff like that, that, you know, if we need to. Excellent. That's a fascinating look. It looks like a, a really well-designed setup. Uh, let's go to our next question. From Kenneth Jones in Seattle, Washington. When you train your replacement, where will you start and how long will it take? <laughs> Chris, you know, it's funny. Uh, Nigel, a couple days ago, had mentioned like, "Don't, don't make yourself irreplaceable." And I was like, "Oh, oops, too late." Um, yeah, Chris, and I think you're still screen sharing, so you might want to stop that so we can see you. Um, so the the thing is, uh, where I'm at and what I'm doing, if I go away, they just won't do it. Um, you know, it's it's. They find it valuable and they love it, um, but I don't think they love it enough that if I went away, they would go to the effort to find someone to do to keep doing this kind of stuff. And um, it's sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow because it's like, oh, I, I you know, I'm I'm building all this stuff, um, but you know, it's it's all about resource allocation and um, and with my skill set, I can do stuff. And I have a skill set that I, I don't think a lot of people um, have who work in, in my particular industry. Absolutely. Next question. Next question coming in from Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway. Ronnie asks, how do you record audio, separate, embedded, or multi-track? And what about sync to video? Do you prefer free running internal or house sync? We don't do a ton with sync um mainly because most of our broadcast lip sync is not an issue um so it doesn't you know if it's off a little it doesn't matter because no one's ever going to notice um in 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 terms of recording it's everything is um there's no multi-track there's no i'm not there's nothing for editing later it's all what goes what's live is what it is and um you know we're recording in mpeg4 and it is what it is. And I, I don't have the capacity um, storage wise and resources wise to do much more than that. And so it, it's, it's one of those things where once the live stream is done, that's it. We save it and it is what it is. And there's, there's not, there's no going back and editing or anything like that. Fair enough. Next question. Jesse Mills in San Francisco Bay area. What brand and model of PTZ's pan tilt zoom cameras do you use and why? The one that's no longer working. How was <laughs> the one it? No longer works was, uh, was a PTZ optics. And, um, the original reason we got it, um, was it, it, it well, basically for NDI is, is how we originally used it. And, uh, it was fine. It had, you know, it, it, it did what it did. It's not a super great camera, but it, it, for the, for the cost, it was fine. Um, if I had to go again, I'd probably be looking at, you know, maybe some Panasonic's. Chris, how did you feel about it? Were you operating that cam camera remotely from your switching station at the remote location? And what, what was the experience like for you? So when we originally bought that camera, it was 
at, we bought it for soccer and we did not have, uh, there was no filming location. And so everything was flat. There was no bleachers. And so we bought it and put it on top of a 30 foot mast. And so basically that was how we, that was how we did the soccer broadcast is, is the PTZ. And, um, you know, it's not a great camera. So the following was not great. It was, um, little laggy, but again, for, for our audience and for what we were doing, it was good enough. Um, yeah. Since and then, cover, Oh, okay. Since you cover multiple sports, what, what would you say is the hardest of the sports that you have to cover to do is soccer tough because the field is so big or are there other things that are more difficult? Um, maybe baseball, baseball and softball. Um, baseball is hard. A lot of baseball and softball are both hard a lot of times because of sight lines. Um, trying to get a camera in a place that's not behind a chain link fence. Um, it's also not linear. And so to do multiple cameras, you need to be all the way around the venue. And so for, for baseball and softball, um, we, when we can, we'll do a two camera shoot, which is one static camera just behind behind home plate that kind of covers the whole field. And then one in at center field that's covering the pitcher and the batter. Um, and just that making that work is hard because they're, you know, they're 600 feet apart and, you know, that's, it's a lot of SDI and um, it's not, that's not a simple process. And we end up, what I ended up doing for both, uh, for both softball and baseball in those cases, we is using, um, using the ADA um, NDI HX cameras over a ubiquity point to point bridge. And so basically a wireless connection. That's, that's what we've done in the past. Makes sense. Courtney has a question from the panel. Yeah, are there any PTZs or perhaps a 4K camera that has a 4K sensor and can zoom in and follow using AI, follow the action on like soccer or basketball? Because usually everybody's headed to one end of the court or the other end of the court. And so if you mounted a camera like that, a 4K camera, a static 4K camera, it could just zoom in and do a 1080p window as yeah. it followed the action left and right. Uh, so that's actually that's a pretty popular thing. Um, it, in small colleges and high schools is there, there are these, there are these new sp specific cameras and we have one at football and we have one at, at, in our basketball gym, um, where it's like in basketball, it's, I think it's three cameras and it patches them all together. And so it covers the whole gym and, and then it's AI that, that does a pan and scan, uh, inside that image. And it is great if you have nothing else to choose from, um, it's not, it, it gets confused a lot, you know, in a basketball game, if the, if the players are spread over the court, it gets confused as to where it needs to go. Um, and timeouts are <laughs> timeouts are kind of comical because it doesn't know what to do and it's just going up and down. And um, if one of the players throws a hail Mary uh, pass to somebody at the other end of the court, then it and you may miss confused. it. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and so, so there's a lot of high schools that do it because they can, you know, they can spend whatever it is at three, $4,000 plop it up on the wall and then that's that's it and it just streams out it does its thing it's in like i said if you got no other if you have nothing else they're great but um we have one and we use it it's just for practice i would never never use it for anything broadcast related let's go to the next question 
Joaquin Matus from Imperial Valley, California. Do you ever look to broadcast NFL, NBA, MLB, Division I, NCAA to find inspiration for integrators, integrations or features you want to add to your broadcast? How do you compensate for that in terms of having a limited budget to carry out any of those new features? Do they inspire yeah, so, you or do they make you feel like you just wish you had that stuff? Well, a little of both, really. <laughs> um, but a lot of sometimes it's like I'll see something on a broadcast and be like, oh, I think we can do that. And, um, you know, one of the things um, from uh, the Olympics a couple of years ago, there was sh- I was watching volleyball and they showed an overhead shot that was like directly over the the, the volleyball court. And I'm, and I'm thinking... I think we can do that. And so that was something that we, you know, I saw in the Olympics and I implemented and we had, we had a, you know, a shot that um, is right above uh, our, our, our basketball and volleyball court. And I think provides a, a really unique shot that um, didn't take much to do, but yeah. It, so th- there's a lot of things like that where, where I've seen and it's, and it's like, Oh, I'd like to do that, but we could never. And there's a lot of things where we're like, Oh, I think maybe we can do something like that. And, and, and trying to find creative ways uh, to integrate a lot of that stuff. And that's um, kind of segueing a little bit. That's where a lot of the the data um, comes from. And, and, and I, you know, I see these graphics and I was like, oh, I wish like we have that data is available. Why can't I show that on screen? And so, you know, I've written a lot of custom Python programs um, that are basically ex- extrapolating data and putting it in a way that I can then feed it into vMix and show all the, these these custom graphics that we have. I think a lot of people here would be interested in that, Chris. What 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 sources do you use to pull stats for what's going on in the NC2A? So so uh, in the NCAA, um, basically everyone has pretty similar stat situation, um, and so the the stats are being generated um, by staff, and um, uh, I'm basically getting an XML file with that stats, and then I'm parsing out that XML file and and combining it with some other things to make uh, make our graphics look uh, look a certain way. Does it come out of the NC2A offices or do you subscribe to some sort of statistical feed or something like that? What's no, it, it's, 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 uh, it's something someone, someone in our department sits at a, sits at a uh, computer and types stuff in and that computer generates an XML file. And then from that computer, it pushes it to my computer where then I can, um, I can take it. Cool. Cool. Just wondered how they get there. I was wondering if maybe the colleges had gotten sophisticated enough to send out a data stream in near it, real time about what's happening. I mean, it at the you know the big schools that might be might be more of a thing. Um, I, I most most in the NCA most of the schools right now are using NCA Live Stats, and that's owned by Genius, which is a huge betting company. And so that data is that data is out there. And if you've got the if you got the the money, you can get access to it. Makes sense. Next question. Bob Sturdivant in San Antonio, Texas. Chris, with all of your automation, how do you handle software, firmware updates without crashing your whole system? Um, very carefully. Uh, um, you know, it, software and firmware updates, for the most part, like my system's so fragile to begin with that if it's going to break, it's going to break. And um, so... I'm not as leery about doing software and firmware updates. I'm most things for me, the bigger concern is that some piece of code that I wrote runs across something that I was not anticipating and breaks in the middle of the stream. Um, th- 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 that's more, <laughs> more of a real threat than the, than the software stuff. 
Fair enough. Next question. Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway, asking, I guess you use a lot of automation like Companion. Would you share all your setups with the Office Hours crew? Joke aside, how are you using Companion in your setup or what other automation do you use? Yeah, here I can um, show you a little bit more. Um, in and um, so this is um, this is my deck for um, for basketball. And one of the things that I really have started taking advantage of with Stream Deck and Companion is this ability to do kind of a shift effect. And it's basically when you hold one button down, it changes the page and you can press your button and it releases. Um, let me see if I can get an example of it here. You know, and so, um, and you can see as I hold one button down, it changes the other buttons and then I can press those. And when I release that button, it goes back to where it was. And one of the the, the default kind of states in, in, in both Companion and the native Stream Deck software is this concept of like folders or pages. And I found it very cumbersome to get into a page to do something and then to get back where I was going. And so that's where this kind of this shift type feature to me just makes things so much quicker in that I can hold it down. And as soon as I release it, I'm back to where I was. And I don't have to worry about navigating out of wherever I got myself into. And so I've got a handful of um, handful of, of kind of pages like that on my Stream Deck where I can just hold down a button and it pops up a basically a submenu that I can quickly access things. Um, and that then, looked really impressive. Don't tell me that when you held down that button and it turned red, you were switching one game. And when you hold down the button, it turned blue. You were on the other game. No, I mean I could do that, but no, that that what that was doing is um as a that there's these um there's an away button and a home button. And when I click the the away button, um it will pop up the away team's roster on that left button. And when and and so basically those are for showing um like a player graphic. And so if I want to show, you know, number nine and the home team, I hold down the home button and click number nine, and then it pops up the um, nice graphic for that player. Wow, that's and a then, really sophisticated con construct. Yeah. And it, it and and on if you can see on um, it's kind of hard. So it's maybe use white. Um, on on these buttons right here, um, you can see that there's actually a little number in the corner of those, and that's actually the score of the game. And so I wrote in my um, score bug processing engine. I added a feature so that as the score updates, it actually updates the button on the stream deck with what the score is. And that particular button is for my replay tagging. And so when I tag a, when I capture a replay and I want to tag what that replay is, I hit that button. The, so for example, I'll hit the away button and it will tag it as an away event and with the score at that point. And so then at some point later, if I need to go back and find something, I can find it really quickly because I have the score of the point where that replay um, was taken. And so to me, that's a, that's been super helpful too, is that kind of being able to hack the, the companion stuff and make it work more how I want it has been 
And how much time do you spend in your Python scripts to make all this stuff happen? Is, is it something that you're too much, too much, <laughs> you know, it, I, I, like, like I said, I, I, I got a, a degree in engineering, so I am happy to spend four hours to take, make a 10 minute task, take five. <laughs> well, I think every programmer I've ever met is fascinated in the same way. So that's great. Next, oh, well, Mitch had a question here. Mitch. I actually, as a comment, I just want to say, is it fair to say that uh, most of this design you've done with the stream decks and companion is to make your job easier as a one-man band? Uh, absolutely. Uh, mine, and I, I do have a couple a couple workers um, that, that sometimes do some cutting and directing for me. And it it's for me and and for them, um, you know, usually a lot, a lot of times what happens is I'll do something to make sense. And then when they're sitting down and I'm like, why didn't you do that thing that I showed you how to do? I'm like, oh, because it was, you know, it was harder or whatever. And that's when I start rethinking like, oh, maybe this is a better way. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, it start, it's starting to look like a marketable product, you know, from the way it looks. It's very well designed. Yeah, but that's an interesting place you went there. I mean, you've designed it. It's it's kind of came from your brain. And so you find it sometimes easy, but sometimes not as easy to to train somebody else on something that's that specific. Well, you know, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Because there's so much stuff in here that, that I've designed um, for my use case. And, in, in, um, you know, for example, let me see here. Um, so this is an example of, um, this is basically a, a, the, the a card that shows on, if you go to our um, portal for our live streaming, there's a, there's a card for each, for each event. And, um, I want those cards to look good. I want them to look like ESPN plus. And um, so I have this, this custom Python program that via the API of our streaming provider goes in and grabs that, the data of what the game is, and then automatically generates these graphics and uploads them back in. And for me, that's, it works. It makes perfect sense, but I don't think I could ever hand this off to a student to do that. It was just, just wouldn't work. Interesting. All right, let's go to the next question. From Mickey Makachor from the Philippines. And can you talk about building your outdoor camera packages for installation and the ingenuity and resourcefulness that you've put into designing and building them? Yeah, so let's go. Let me share again. So during the pandemic, um, our campus was shut down. And um, that meant we didn't have um fans couldn't come and watch and for sports like you know basketball and baseball that was fine because we were streaming all those anyways tennis we weren't and so we needed to find a solution that our parents could watch our tennis matches um when, when no one was allowed on campus and so this is our court and um i needed to find a way to stream six courts of tennis in a way that i did not have to do a lot of you know setting up and tearing down and stuff like that and so what we ended up doing is that's where i got into um the 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 ada uh, ndi cameras and they are um you know they're not they're not great cameras but for what they are they're super handy and it's you know for 350 bucks i just plug in a network cable and i get a i get an ndi feed super easy and so with those cameras I put them in these outdoor security enclosures. And so you've got the camera there. It's a little mic preamp and this Kamika, that's just a, an omnidirectional lav mic. 
Um, that's that's kind of, you know, sitting right up there. And it's all powered through PoE. So one PoE cable comes in, powers the camera, the preamp, the mic. And so now I have I have a fleet of a fleet of cameras that um I don't really have to do anything for. I set them up at the beginning of the season, they stay up all season long. And when we have tennis matches, um, I've actually got a, a a script that I write that goes into our streaming provider, updates the um, RTMP keys and turns the streaming on. And then when the match is done, I run it again and it turns it off. Um, and this is kind of, uh, th- this was temporary to just kind of get things running. We've since moved all this stuff um, into this, this shed. But you can see all these these cameras, there's six cameras just come back to this little box into a little switch. And from the switch, it goes out to this ubiquity right here. And so this tennis, so these six tennis courts all stream um, wirelessly uh, over this ubiquity bridge. And so this is this is an example of what it, what it what it looks like. And so for each match for each court, there's an individual tennis individual court stream. So if you want to watch your player in court one, you can watch your player in court one. And so we have these six individual NDI or, or RTMP feeds that come directly from the camera. And then if we have a um, if we don't have much going on, I will take where RTMP feeds out of the camera for the individual courts. But if we don't have much going on, I'll, I'll take one of my other computers and bring those NDI feeds back into vMix and then stream out basically a multi-view. So someone can choose whether they want to watch an individual court or they want to watch all six courts at the same time. And then we also, I also added basically a custom scoring app. So if, if we have someone that can do it, uh, basically I give them a little phone and a URL and they can go and update the scores on their phone, and then those scores update on uh, on the broadcast as well. So. That's really nice. That is a. It's just I can't imagine the parents during the pandemics whose kids were in these matches didn't just really appreciate. Yeah, what you managed and, to and, do for them. And like I said, the tennis is one of the matches where, where our numbers are tiny, but it's like it's the right thing to do from our perspective, and so you know we made sure that, that our parents were able to, to watch their, their children compete. Well done. Well done. Let's go to the next question. Ronnie Settle, La Plata, Maryland, asking, can you show the equipment you use for remote feeds like tennis? And uh, do you have a return program feed for the commentator? So I should have done this question. We should have got to this one before the last one. That, yeah. That um, <laughs> let me see. I, for... Um, I do have, it, it depends on the broadcast and, um, I, I'll, if, if we have a play-by-play person, then there will be a return feed, um, how that, um, actually is implemented depends on the sport, um, for basketball, it's, it's, it's an SDI feed from, uh, my office down to the court, um, for, uh, lacrosse and soccer, it's, uh, it's NDI, an NDI feed. Um, and actually for, for lacrosse and soccer, I have it configured where, um, if there is a, if the scoring people in the booth have a question about a goal, they can call me up and I can actually show them a replay separate that goes out from the broadcast. And so the broadcast is doing its thing and I can just run back a replay just for them. So that's kind of a neat little feature. Very much so. Next question. Josh Kaufman at Pittsburgh, PA. Josh asked, it seems expanding the scale and scope of your offerings has not significantly affected your equipment, budget, or staff. How do you justify the extra effort when your effort is not always matched? 
what continues to drive you to do more with less? Um, making all this stuff work is the fun part. Um, I'm not a like directing a show. That's that's it's fun, but it's fun because I get to use the things I built, not because I have some uh, desire to to be a, a director. And um, to me, making all this stuff work and plugging things in and finding creative solutions that's the fun part, and um, that's the part of my job where I get to do it. And um, I, I might do it if I didn't get paid. You know, um, we right now. Um, um, I'm working on our softball kit and <clears throat> let me show you what our softball kit looks like. And so our, our softball kit is basically, I've got these two cases with all this equipment in it and, and kind of the gist is so that I can, um, I can, we can have a remote, we can have a play-by-play person at our softball venue and our softball venue does not have, there's no press box. There's nothing like that. It's just a tent. And so, for years, I, you know, I'm lugging out a computer and under a tent and setting up, you know, vMix or Wirecast under this tent in the rain and whatever. And, and that just is not sustainable. And, and so I wanted to get all that stuff back, to, get those feeds back to my office. And so I built these cases, um, you know, and so I've got, you know, the, the PA case and the play-by-play case. And, and we, we're kind of at a point this year where we're not going to have any play-by-play for for softball. And I know that like, that's a decision that has been made, but I can't help, but like working on my play-by-play case to make sure it still works. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I could just be like, Oh, we're no play-by-play. I don't have to worry about this case, but like, there's like, well, maybe what if maybe. And so, you know, putting everything together and, and um, making it work. That's fun. That's the fun stuff. That's the stuff that I really enjoy doing. Sky had a comment. Well, you're you're being creative, and that's what's fun. Are you finding that the technology is allowing you to uh, move forward faster versus the the original hardware and copper? Putting things in software versus lots of additional plugs that you had to wire and weld oh, and things. Sure, sure. I mean, NDI has changed what what we're capable of doing. Like, I can do so much more with NDI that you know, with equipment that I have. And, um, you know, there's times when I I cuss an NDI and like, why is this not working? Um, But it, you know, it's not working and then it works and uh, it didn't cost me anything. So, okay. Well, Well, there's there's always weather and rats that get into old hardware too. So there's always going to be something. Absolutely. Let's go to the next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. Do you have to feed in-venue displays as well as the stream? And how do you manage that? Uh, not really. Uh, the only in-venue display we have is football. And at football, um, we actually have their, the local c- uh, cable access television station. They come in and do our, uh, do our uh, they, they cover our football games. And so um, there's, there, I, I don't have to do much in-venue stuff. Okay, I think you've still got a screen share going. Let's move to the next question. Josh Kaufman in Pittsburgh, PA, asking, what is an example of a hack that you use to solve a problem that might otherwise be addressed with extra budget or personnel? Good question, Chris. What do you think of? Um, I mean, everything. Like, <laughs> 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 let me, let me uh, share screen again. Take a... 
take a look. This is this is a swimming setup from um, from a swimming our uh, conference championship we did last year, and um, this was at King County Aquatic Center up there up there by U Sky, um, and um, this is this was a championship event. It was our conference championship, and and we were the host, and so we were responsible for streaming, and and I wanted to make sure we're putting out a good quality broadcast. And um, when I got there, the plan was to use uh, score shots, which is a, this little device that you, you know, you pay 500 bucks a year for and it plugs into your scoreboards and gives you data. Well, when we got there, it didn't work. And I spent an hour on the phone with them and trying to sort things out. And it we eventually we determined that they had made an update that now this no longer works with, with the Swiss timing system that, that they use at the KCAC. And so I ended up during the first session, uh, handwriting a new program that extrapolated the data from their Swiss timing system so that I could bring it into our broadcast. And so, so I've got that. And then at the same time, you know, this is, this is our camera for that for that broadcast. And I, for this, this was a, this was a one man show. I was switching and running the camera and graphics and everything. And so I, (laughs) I hacked together this little thing where, you know, the top, the top camera uh, or the top monitor, that's the, um, the camera. This one down here is the program feed. And then I, this is uh, a stream deck, um, via a web browser and there's another stream deck right here. And so I had, I could man the camera and switch the camera at the same time, pull up graphics, all that from uh, just kind of one, one place. And it just kind of, when I showed up, I, I had a concept of what I was going to do. But really it was just kind of putting pieces together and like, Oh, let me, if I pull this, if I, if I, bring this stream deck over here, then I can run the camera and change at the same time. And so, you know, just kind of hacking things together like that. Next question. Next question from Xander Snell in Miami. Do you have advertising? And if not, why? Wouldn't ad sales make administration pay much more attention? And would that fund yourself in a small team? Uh, we have some advertising, uh, not much. Uh, we've uh, We've got three or four um, sp- sponsors that, you know, we play commercials for. Um, the problem is uh, the target audience that we serve is so diverse uh, in terms of location. So for example, like a high school down the road, they can sell ads through the roof because everyone that goes to that game lives in that town. Well, 90% of the people that watch our stream or come to our games don't live in our town. So and an advertisement for a local company just doesn't make a ton of feasible sense. So for us, we, we do have some advertising, but I think a big component of that advertising is actually just philanthropic and that they get some value out of it, but they're also giving back to, um, you know, a, a local university. Fair enough. Next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. How are you achieving replay? Vmix. Um, I, we use we use vmix um let me see if i can give you an example uh, and so um uh, like i said this is this is my screen 
um, when I'm looking at um, a basketball broadcast. And this primarily I'm looking at this multi-view. And this is on the this left corner right here. This is the the VMix replay instance. And because we don't have a because we don't have a lot of you know man cameras because it's a one person shop. The replay workflow for me is basically capturing previous amount of time. So I'm I've got my hand on um, I've got my hand on this button right here while I'm watching the game and. As soon as I see something cool happen, I hit that button. And that button captures a replay starting three minutes, three seconds prior. And so real quickly, I can go capture that replay. I can, I can define which camera I want to use. And then I hit play. And so with three buttons, I have a replay out. Um, I think I have an example of no, this one. Let's see if I can find this one. Let's see. Thought I had an example of the replay. Oh, yep, there it is, right there. All right, so here's an example right there. Play happens. I hit the button, and and within two seconds, I've got a, a replay of that event. And now that um, that has some limits in that. You know, if I miss it, if I miss the button, I miss that opportunity. I can go back and just later, but as a one-man shop, if I miss the button, like I, I'm not, I need to keep concentrating on the show. I can't go back. Oh, let, like I miss it. Let's go find that replay so we can show it again. It's it's either I get it or I don't um, if, for that moment in time, and you know it's not perfect. And because you're limited by time. Uh, there's sometimes where, you, you know, you cut off the, the, the very end or you cut off the beginning and it's not a perfect replay, um, but it's better than nothing. Fair enough. Let's go to the next question. Sky Gleason in Seattle, Washington asking, are you also working with students to help with the media services for the university? No, no, we, we don't, we're, our school's small. We don't have we really don't have media services. Um, I've got a couple, I have two student photographers that help get um, photos um, of our, of our events, but that, that's pretty much it. Sky, do you have a question? Well, about this? I just want to encourage you because you're the Herculean work that you're doing, the 90% of this effort that's underneath, you know, the iceberg concept is, is, is tech, technologically forward and in this media world that these students i looked at your website it's beautiful i love the technology that's in, engaging they're they're bragging about technology there so i'm just thinking now that everybody's a producer everybody's a writer everybody's what you have to offer is a huge opportunity so i'm guess i'm trying to help you yeah. find the carrots yeah no it it, it is it's complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> Don't disagree. I just, I, I want to encourage you because what you're showing today is, is amazing and awesome. And, uh, I would, I would just, I would love to figure out how to get you some, some more love out there. Let's go to the next question. That's all. I've right. got a, I've got a question for you, uh, Chris, uh, how much of your graphics are updated with a backend database or data source? Um, all of them. <laughs> um, Basically, I have um, so 
Uh, let's see. Let's show. No, not this one. We'll start this one. Um, and so this is just a, a, a collection. I just cut together a handful of some of our graphics that we have. Um, you know, the scorebog is coming from the scoreboard controller. Um, this starter graphics are. Oh wait, I'm not sharing, am I? Let's, let's come back to that. Let's come back. Um, so yeah, so the, this this in this example that you know the scorebog down here. This data is coming um, from two places. All the all the score data, like the points and the time and the period and stuff like that, all that is coming from a uh, from the in venue scoreboard console. And I have a little serial device plugged into the scoreboard, and I wrote a Python program to extrapolate that data and export it out into a JSON file that then vMix can ingest. The the colors and the team names that stuff all actually comes from a google drive or a google doc and so i have a google doc where i can then go and i can just change what teams are playing and that will then automatic automatically update all those graphics in vmix you know for 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 each team i basically have the names their codes you know what the the file name is for their logo and so basically just just changing a a field in in a google doc then updates uh updates the, the graphics in in vmix um as far as the stats stuff like this this um these starter stuff that's all coming from that's coming from one of two places too um it's coming from the stats computer so that xml file that they're that's coming out with all who scored what when um, and it's also coming from um, an, another Google sheet that we populate with the um, with the home and away teams information that actually then generates a PA script for a public address announcer. Um, and because we that information is in there, I pulled that in. Um, so we have hometowns and and high schools and stuff like that. And then I have another Python script. That, that based on that information goes to their website and downloads their photo. Nice. Um, let's go to the, Oh, you have something else? Do you want uh, to yeah. Well, let's see. There's just a couple of, so this, this is another example. Um, this is uh, conference games going on at the same time. And so I have a Python script that is going to those, whoever's the host team, it goes to their website and grabs the current score and time for their current game. And so we can show the, the current, um, um, basically a little score ticker. Um, and then uh, I think that's about it. Nice. All right. Let's move to the next question. From Douglas Carmichael, how did you decide on vMix instead of Wirecast or another application? <clears throat> I started with Wirecast and ran into a wall. Uh, Wirecast just doesn't do as much as vMix. Um, it, I for a while, I was, you know, working on Wirecast in, in the forums and asking, like, oh, like, I want to try and do this. I want to do this. And I kept getting the answer, well, vMix can do that. And it's just like, come on. I don't, I don't like, I'm using Wirecast. I, you know, I've got a pro version of Wirecast. I want to use what I have. I don't want to spend $1,000 on a new piece of software. Well, it got to a point where we added a new team. And so for the first time, 
we were going to have three events that needed to be streamed at the same time. And so I needed another piece of software. I was like, well, let me, let me try the vMix trial. And so I downloaded vMix. And after about a week, I was like, all right, no more, no more Wirecast. It's not even close. Um, you know, for what I'm doing, it's, it's just not, it's, it, vMix is so much more powerful in terms of the scripting and, and, you know, you can, you can hack it and you can, there's triggers and do this when this happens and this, when that happens. And there's just, that's not the case with Wirecast. Next question. Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York, asking, would love to see how the specs for the outdoor cams, specifically how you power the preamp with the power over Ethernet. Um, yeah, so let me. So the there, there is a I have a PoE, let's see, right here is a PoE to 12 volt adapter. And so PoE comes into there and pulls out 12 volts from the PoE. And then 12 volt to the preamp and 12. And then there's a, just a 12 volt barrel splitter. One goes to the preamp, one goes to the camera. And that's it. And actually, what in the initial testing, what I found was that if you powered the camera via PoE, you could plug a 12 volt into the 12 foot input and get 12 volt out. There was no, there was no diode protecting that. But I was like, eh, that's not a good solution. It works, but that's probably not a safe solution. <laughs> Next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, uh, what is Dactronics unit on top of the play-by-play -play rack and how does it interface with vMix? Um, I'm, I'm guessing this is what he's talking about. Um, the So that's that's the Dactronics AllSport 5000. That is the scoreboard controller. So um, we've got a handful of these all over campus, depending on what venue. There's one for every at least one for every scoreboard we have on campus. And so this is what sits at the table and people press in, you know, start the clock, stop the clock, blah, 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 whatever. And um, that is, like I said before, there is a serial port on the back of that that I am extracting the serial data out and converting it into a JSON file that then is read by vMix. Nice. Next question. From Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway. Ronnie asks, when things start to go south as a one-man show, there is limited capacity to change or fix things. What is the worst case you've experienced, and what happened, and why? What could have saved the production? Well, okay, this is, okay, let's, let's go, to, go to my share screen, because I want to make sure everyone sees this. All right, let's clear this. So watch closely. This is a uh, this is one of our softball games. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> and so that that ended the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Foul yeah. tip directly into the camera. What are the chances? Yeah. It was actually it it it. Fortunately, it was. Um, you know, the camera was fine. I you know still use the camera. It's just a little chipped up. But what actually happened is just that the power got knocked out. Um, and so, you know, for, I was at another venue and so I couldn't get there right away. And so for the next, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes, we were judge broadcasting a blue screen and, uh, the score bug, this was score bug was accurate the, and this, you could hear sound, but you just couldn't see anything. Unbelievable. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, uh, you mentioned the PA announcer in the venue pictures you're showing. I don't see any PA cabinets or truss. Where are they? Uh, um, 
so no, it it depends on uh, depends on the venue. Um, you know, for basketball, the PA person is just at the table with everyone else. Um, for softball, they're so softball is softball is a little different because, like I said, we don't have there's no there's no like press box or anything like that. It's just it's just a tent and and so literally the only infrastructure at softball is a cone speaker mounted to the top of the fence, and so that's where um this pa case comes in and in it and before i was doing anything we had this pa case it comes in it's basically an amplifier you plug in a microphone and it plugs into the speaker and um what i what i did is basically add some streaming capabilities and there's a uh kill of you in there and and a handful of other things and um but that allows me to um basically hide all my streaming stuff in the PA case that they have to set up anyways. Fair enough. We've got a few more questions here. Let's get to the next one. Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh PA. Besides the live streaming for sports, what other creative content do you produce? For example, student photos, programs, et cetera. Are you using any unique solutions to get more done with less? Yeah. So, um, like I said at the beginning, I I basically anything creative or technical is what I, is kind of under my purview. Um, I do um, I manage our social media. Um, I manage our photographers. I used to take more. I used to take all our photos and and as you know, more of the streaming stuff kind of took off. I, I had to do less of that, and so I, I manage. I have a student crew of two and a, another person who comes in and takes photos for us, and you know we do. Uh, media dates, um, which is kind of a goofy name because there's no actually media there. Um, but it's it's basically a photo day where they the, the teams come in and you know white seamless and um, get creative shots and um, then we can kind of do things with that. Um, one of the things that that I we used to one of the things I struggled with is we um, we need to put out game day posts on social media. So every day we have a game, we need to put out a post and say, here's the game, here's the info for that game. And in a busy weekends, that can be 25, 30 posts a weekend. And so I need to come up with a graphic for all those. And so what I ended up doing is building a website that scrapes our schedule um, and that info, I kind of fine tune it and then it exports it to Photoshop Then Photoshop exports all the graphics out automatically uploads them back to the website and then tweets them out when, when appropriate. And so um, that's just kind of another one of those examples of things where I'm, you know, hacking together programs and scripts to save time. Next question. Ronnie Settle from La Plata, Maryland. As we end the show, is there anything else to your slide deck that you would like to share? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I guess I could, I could, I could share this. Um, one of the, one of the, the events that, one, one of the things that I do is um, in addition to, um, you know, everything else, I'm also the the lead. I'm the, I'm the timer for our track and cross country meets. And um, so there's been a handful of times where like we're trying to stream a cross country meet and time it at the same time. And I included this just because I think it's kind of geeky and, and people might m- might like it. Um, when we're talking about timing a track and field meet, this is the camera we use. And it's it's what's called a slit scan camera. And so it takes a picture 
uh, this one in particular takes a picture 1,000 pixels high by one pixel wide, and it just adds it one onto the other. And so, you know, you end up with something like this. And so you can see here, this is this right, uh, this right here, this section right here is what the camera sees. And then you see the image. Um, and so, I don't know, that's, it's just kind of a neat thing that, that, that I think is, is super, super geeky. And that's fascinating. So that's the, how you actually determine who crossed the finish line first when it's nose to nose. Yep. It's nose to nose. It's, and then based on which pixel in the image you select, that determines which, um, where the, what the time was. So interesting. Yeah, just, just a little geeky thing. Yeah. I, I find that fascinating. All right. We have one more question here. And it's from Douglas Carmichael, who created your base graphics templates and transition animations. They're very impressive. So um, all the, um, all the like static type graphics, like the, the, the data driven stuff, I did all those in BMix. Um, the stuff in, in like for intros and, um, um, you know, our, our, our famous intro that's got the famous Mitchell Hill announcing on it. Um, um, those are done with, um, templates from Envato and basically the handful of downloading templates and piecing them together and updating them. And, um, that's, that's the skill set that I don't have a ton of time to, I can figure out how to update things, but I just don't have the time to create stuff like that from scratch. So most of those are templates. Chris, thank you so much. This was a great thing. If, uh, if you wouldn't mind stopping your screen share, there we go. We're back to normal here. Um, really a fascinating thing that you do. Is there any, any last wrap up comment that you might have before we kind of take off out of here? No, I mean, the only thing, uh, uh, S, um, well, if anyone's interested, um, my, uh, chrisabato.com, uh, there's a blog post that I, that I linked to the, the spreadsheet. If you wanted to, or the, the, the Google sheet, it's there. If you wanted to poke around in the photos, it's there. Um, and, and the other thing that I, that is, is, as you're looking at the things that I do, um, one of the things to remember is, is, is the audience and that, you know, we're not ESPN. And so, there's a lot of things that we don't do well and it's not, you know, I, I, it, I think the stuff we do is awesome, but I'm also a little bit self-conscious about the quality of some of it. And, um, but for most of us, it is what it is. So I, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course there's a Delta between what you're doing and what a million dollar sports operation does, but boy, you have made that Delta as small as humanly possible on your scale. I think we're all kind of jaw dropped in awe of what you managed to do here. So well done. Uh, all right, got a couple of announcements here. Don't forget, tomorrow, Flypack Design and Construction. Sometimes we need to take our studio with us, and we'll be talking about that on Friday. Saturday, the One Learning Community comes up. Sunday is introspection, as always. Uh, this afternoon, after the show, uh, Isidore Lab with Elwish and Spiro. Uh, that happens at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, calculate your times from that. Um, and thank you all. We have some thank yous to say, particularly everybody here on the panel. Without the panel, this show doesn't exist. So thank you for the expertise, everybody who came in tonight and helped us answer all these audience-submitted questions. Uh, Tour our producers, the people who watch the show and enter those questions. Thank you very much for being here. Without you, this is impossible. And then there is our fabulous behind-the-scenes crew. Uh, without them, none of this would happen. They will be on the credit roll here in just a second. So pay attention to who's helping us get this done every day. Thank you very much. And that pretty much takes care. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for watching.
Great job, Chris. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you. Stu, the show took us out into the field. Thank you. Does anybody else want to play with Feedmix today? <laughs> I'd forgotten Envato was a thing. That's a good resource.